Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I am Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And last week, Sadie told us a very, very horrible story about a beautiful young woman who was kept for several days and then murdered brutally and inexcusably. It turns out she was not the only victim. So today we get to learn about the rest of this piece of works, heinous, horrifying crimes. So what are you talking about today, Sadie? Well, today we're talking about the murders of Cheryl Dunlap and John and Irene Bryant. In last week's episode, we focused on the terrible abduction and murder of Meredith Emerson, who disappeared on Blood Mountain in Georgia on New Year's Day in 2008. As authorities searched for her, they were able to connect 62-year-old Gary Hilton to her disappearance. After his arrest, Hilton confessed to kidnapping Meredith, holding her captive for four days, and then bludgeoning her to death. Mm. As police investigated Meredith's case, tips started flooding in, connecting him to other missing and murdered people. The running theory on Hilton is that he didn't start killing people until after he was prescribed Ritalin, despite the fact he didn't have ADHD. And that's why he didn't start hurting people until he was in his late 50s or early 60s. It's such a funny theory. I mean, (laughs) you know, misuse of stimulants is definitely can be a bad thing, but I don't think that it just triggered a sociopathic, psychopathic homicidal rage in the man. No. I think we just didn't know about his crimes until I think so. Yes. I think. Yep. I said the other possibility is he's responsible for many other cases that have never been conclusively connected to him. Mm -hmm. So on October 21st, 2007, 80-year-old John, who went by Jack, and his wife, 84-year-old Irene Bryant, went hiking in North Carolina's Pisgah National Park. John and Irene were married for 58 years and were known as a unique couple in the best way. Quote, Irene Bryant loved the outdoors and nature so much, she begged a neighbor to call if he ever spotted a deer in the area so she could slip outside for a peek. I'm... Same, same Z's. And uh, we try not to focus on what people look like much because it doesn't really matter. But Irene looks like a Disney character grandma. Of course she she looks like uh, if you picture the, 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 she's not a grandma and and up the The partner that dies, the wife. Yes. Yes. Oh God. That's almost identical to what she looks like. Yeah. What a monster. How could you ever... (laughs) Yeah, so sad. Irene's husband, 
quote, Jack Bryant's passion for hiking was so strong that he conquered the entire 2000 plus miles of the Appalachian Trail, hiking in short stints over a period of years. Unreal. His dedication never flagging despite pain from an arthritic back. Despite being in their early 80s, they still went out for their weekly hikes and took advantage of the multiple trails close to their home in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Jack and Irene both lived very full lives. They were the parents to four children and had 11 grandchildren. Jack was a lawyer and Irene spent her career working as a veterinarian. Irene was the first in her family to attend college and earned her doctorate in veterinary medicine from Washington State College. She then opened a large animal veterinary practice, becoming one of the first women vets in Montana. Wow. I love picturing her. She looked so tiny, too, like real short. And I love picturing her wrangling cows. Yes. Keeping up with the cowboys. And we grew up with so many women like that, too. You can picture it so clearly. Yes. After Jack and Irene married, Irene decided to leave her practice to stay home with her children. They had three boys and a girl. But she didn't let motherhood keep her from doing what she loved and took multiple graduate level college courses and everything from psychology to forestry. She even spent some time studying fish. Amazing. Her daughter, Holly, said, quote, she gave up her practice because I think she liked going to school better. She was a scientist at heart. She had an extensive insect collection and she loved gardening. She was a very interesting character. My father said she wasn't cut out of a cookie cutter. She was unique. After the Bryants retired, they took full advantage of the last decades of their life, traveling the world together and getting out into nature any chance they could. I read that they even picked Hendersonville because of its location. It's so close to so many different trails that that's why they decided to retire there. So smart. And left like and a super tepid- busy social life. They lived in New York mm. before mm-hmm. and uh, like super well known and well liked. And they're like, you know what? We're going to go off to where we want to be to do things we can do. And you've got like 10 months of good weather for mm-hmm. hiking. You can probably yes. hike the other two also, but it'll be perfect for mm-hmm. six out of the. Yeah. Yeah. Those who knew the Bryants described them as, quote, remarkably generous, adventurous, engaging, and unpretentious. Jack regularly underbilled for his work as an attorney so he could help those who most needed it. God. But on their last hike together, just nine days before Jack turned 80, they ran into a man that would take it all away from them. Unlike Meredith's case, Hilton never gave police any real details about what happened on the day Irene and Jack met their killer. But what we do know is the Bryants left that day and drove the 20 miles to one of their favorite trails in the Pisgah National Forest. It was the peak of the fall season when the leaves were at their brightest colors, something Irene and Jack would never miss. But they wouldn't make it home later that day as planned. And when no one had heard from their friendly and very active couple, they started to worry. It took two weeks for them to be reported missing. And by that time... Hilton was long gone. Especially when they're people that like travel all the time or super spontaneous. I'm sure people are like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen them, but that's just how they are. Mm-hmm. And both of them are gone. So there's nobody to know that one of them is missing. Totally. 
Authorities launched a search for Jack and Irene. When they checked Jack's cell phone records on the day they were last seen, they learned that he had tried to call 911, but because of terrible cell service, the call had been lost and wasn't connected to anyone who could help them. Three weeks after Irene and Jack were last seen, searchers were able to locate Jack's maroon Ford Escape that had been parked at Yellow Gap Road, not far from the Barnett Branch Trail. As they searched the trail, they came upon the remains of a woman who was later identified as Irene. She was just 50 paces from her car, and her body had been covered with leaves and branches, but had not been buried. An autopsy showed she died from blunt force trauma to her head. Once authorities determined Irene had been murdered on federal land, the FBI was brought in to investigate, and a $10,000 reward was offered for any information leading to her killer. Even though Irene had been found, the search for Jack continued. Despite a very extensive search of the area, Jack was not found. Investigators gained access to the Bryant's bank records and learned that someone had pulled $300 cash from an ATM more than two and a half hours west of where Irene's remains were found. When detectives watched surveillance footage from the ATM, they saw a, quote, shadowy figure wearing a hooded yellow raincoat. It was impossible to identify the person who used the debit card, but based on the person's body type, they were able to determine that the person using the machine was not Jack. Mm-hmm. Authorities believed that whoever had killed Irene had abducted Jack and forced him to give up his debit card PIN number. Ugh. As authorities in North Carolina were searching for Jack, police in Georgia were searching for Meredith Emerson. So Jack and Irene went missing on October 21st. And Meredith went missing later in, in January, but January 1st, but still within a few months. That's so like, fast. Yeah. God. And for so little. Yes, exactly. When authorities there searched Hilton's van, they found multiple blood stains. When those stains were tested for DNA, multiple samples came back as a match to Jack's DNA, confirming that Hilton had killed Irene and then abducted Jack in order to steal the couple's money. Hilton refused to talk about the Bryants or lead police to Jack. On February 3rd, 2008, a hunter discovered a skull while hunting in the Nanatahala National Forest in North Carolina. Oh. Investigators were called in and a search of the area revealed a pelvis and spine about 20 yards from the skull. No clothing or any identification was found with the remains, so the bones were sent to the medical examiner for identification. It only took two days for the remains to be confirmed as belonging to Jack Bryant. God, this is kind of a silly thing to say, but I feel like once you reach a certain age, you're probably like, well, at least I'm not going to get murdered. Totally. You know? Totally. And you're, as their children, you're not thinking, oh, they're probably, they're not going to find my parents' remains, their bones in the forest. No. It's just, God. Hmm. No, I know. Completely understand. Yeah, it's they need to just be just drinking their teas and being comfy yeah. cozy and going for their hikes. And No, if you make it to, cert, to a certain age, you should just, yeah, you just die yep. of natural causes, disease, what, you know, what, yep. the, what old people die of. Yep. Not Murder. getting dragged into the woods by some psychopath. No. Jack had been found just off a nearby Forest Service road and was just over 100 miles away from where Irene's remains had been found. 
His cause of death was ruled to be a single gunshot wound to his head. When friends and family of Jack and Irene learned they both been found, they were overcome by their brutal and senseless end. But a neighbor who lived across the street from them said, quote, they were the best neighbors you could ever want. They were self-effacing and gracious. They liked theater and music. And if they had tickets to a show they couldn't attend, they'd call and offer them to us. Their daughter, Holly, said, quote, my parents were unique people in that they considered what they wanted out of life and then pursued it. Everyone thinks they do this, but few actually do. Mm-hmm. Little things that are in reality unimportant tend to get in the way. My parents lived a full life and were a delight to know. They will be missed by so many. Even though Hilton was charged with Jack and Irene's murder, justice would be slow for their family as they waited for their turn in court. Authorities were working tirelessly to retrace Hilton's movements between the time when Irene and Jack went missing and when Meredith Emerson was abducted. They learned that after killing Jack and Irene, Hilton traveled south to Georgia, where he set up camp on a private hunting preserve in Cherokee County. A local noticed his camp and called the police. When an officer arrived, they ran the license plate on Hilton's van through a Georgia state database. No outstanding warrants were found, so he told Hilton to pack up and leave. God, this guy has got some kind of magical bubble of protection around him. It really does. Everybody just one little step too far behind him. Yes. And the worst part of it all is that if they had checked a federal database or, you know, something bigger Mm -hmm. than just the Georgia state, they would have found an outstanding warrant and he would have been arrested. Oh, God, it gives me chills. Yes. Yep. So Hilton did as he was told and continued south into Florida. Soon after Hilton arrived in Florida, another woman went missing on December 1st, 2007. Mm. So that's like two weeks after Irene and Jack were... Too much. It's too much. Yes. That day, 46-year-old Cheryl Dunlap called her friend to make plans to have dinner together later that night. She told her friend that she planned to take a book and go read at Leon Sinks National Forest, located just south of Tallahassee. Witnesses would later say they saw Cheryl at Leon Sinks around 1.30 p.m. that day. She was wearing a white sweater and jeans and was carrying a hardback book. She was alone. Oh, God, just trying to enjoy a little nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, read a nice book, just do a really healthy thing for your mind, body, and spirit. And you never, ever would think that this guy is going to be there to kill you. Right. Yes. I saw a lot of articles in the archives, um, in the newspapers locally during this time. And once Hilton was arrested, the authorities were like, hooray, everyone's safe. And the resounding statement back to them was, no, we are not. This is just an indication of what women in particular or Mm. more vulnerable people can't do safely. Yeah. Of course, the chances of running into a serial killer in the woods isn't very high, but it's the truth. It makes you understand how vulnerable you can be and how fucked up it is that people can't just go walking in the woods or read a book in a national forest by themselves. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It, It very much should be the case that you can. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And yeah. the only time that I've ever really felt unsafe that I can think of in recent history was in Florida in the Ocala National Forest, which I love. I would love to mm-hmm. actually buy property there to retire to because I found it so enchanting and charming. But 
I was riding my bike by myself and I got far, you know, like a mile or so into the national forest and people live in the forest. And I felt this overwhelming feeling of eyes on me. And I was like, okay, time to go home. I should not be doing this by myself. Yes. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So Cheryl never made it to dinner that night. And the next morning she failed to show up to church. Another friend noticed Cheryl wasn't there and became very worried. Cheryl was devoted to her church community and taught Sunday school every week. Of course she did. Because mm-hmm. she was a literal angel. <sighs> and this guy had a real knack for picking actual angels yes, to victimize. Yes, people who would stop and help or do whatever they, you know, he was asking of them because right. they were kind-hearted and really cared about fellow man. Mm-hmm. Cheryl only missed church when something was seriously wrong. The fact that she hadn't let anyone know she wasn't going to be there that day made things worse. When church was over, Cheryl's friend drove to her house where she lived alone to check on her. Cheryl's car was gone, but her dog was still inside. When Cheryl's friend realized that no one had heard from her in almost two days, she called police and filed a missing persons report. Later that same day, police were able to find Cheryl's car on the side of Crawfordville Highway parked near the woods. When police searched the car, they found that one of the tires had a deliberate puncture, causing it to go Mm -hmm. flat. Her purse was in the car, but all of her money was gone. The other part about this that drives me crazy and makes me even more scared than normal is that it was on a busy Saturday in the middle of the day. The area that she was in was super popular. The highway her car was found on was busy. And so it means that Hilton managed to spot Cheryl, find her car, puncture her tire, follow her, I assume. She left, followed her, uh, (sighs) abducted her, rummaged through her car and took her away in the middle of the day on a Saturday. He either wanted to get caught or liked the thrill of potentially getting caught or both. Yeah, I think he liked to, he, he, I think it was the thrill. I think he thought he was smart enough to get away with it and didn't give any cares. And clearly was careful enough-ish to not Mm -hmm. be spotted, like actually taking her away, struggling or whatever, but. But anybody could show up at any moment and he liked it. Yeah. And he kept them all alive and things for a a while. Yep. Cheryl's bank records showed that three cash withdrawals were made at an ATM in Tallahassee on December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, totaling $700. There were two other attempted withdrawals that were declined because they exceeded their daily limit. The video from the security camera at the bank showed that the person making the transactions was a man wearing a blue and white patterned long sleeve shirt, glasses, a hat, and a makeshift mask made from masking tape. It's like, how can I make this 3,000 times worse? He thought yeah, to dude. himself. Yes. And then and he I, figured out exactly how to make it 3,000 times worse. Yeah, I could wear sunglasses and a scarf. Or a I could make a, yeah. Yeah, or or, I could make a masking tape. It looked like a beard. I'll post pictures, but okay. it looked like a masking tape beard. It just covered his chin and part like his mouth, kind of his nose area. No. Yeah. And when I first read about this tape mask, it didn't say masking tape. And I was picturing 
the like scotch tape masks that kids will put they put scotch tape on their face to make their face look funny and that's what I thought which would be the only thing that would be worse than a mask right and so when I actually saw it this was almost as bad if not worse than that lord terrifying help us so just over two weeks after Cheryl went missing, her remains were discovered on December 15th, 2007, by a hunter who was in the Apalachicola National Forest. Her body was found near a forest road that had been covered by some brush and limbs. Like some of Hilton's other victims, her head and hands had been removed from her body. Oh, man. So he finds her in the broad daylight, takes the chances mm-hmm. of somebody spotting him kidnapping her and also takes the time to remove her head and hands after he's murdered her for $700. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. After it, like in a terrible murder sandwich between three other beautiful, lovely people. Yes. A very young woman at the beginning of her life, a beautiful older couple Mm -hmm. at the end of their life and a middle-aged woman who was an angel and helped everyone. Mm -hmm. Cool legacy guy. Cool legacy. Yeah. So proud of you should be proud of yourself. Despite a search of the area where her body was found, the rest of her remains were not there. An autopsy was performed, but the medical examiner wasn't able to determine a cause of death, but determined it had likely been a violent homicide, which is the Understatement most obvious statement. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was determined that her remains had been in the woods for 7 to 15 days, and they estimated that she had died sometime between December 5th and the 8th. Mm. This meant, just like Meredith, Cheryl had been kept alive for multiple days before she was murdered. I can't. (laughs) Nope. A few weeks after Cheryl's body was found, investigators received a tip that led them to Cheryl's head and hands. They had been burned in a fire pit at the Joe Thomas campsite, just seven miles away from where the rest of her body was found. Oh, what an absolute psycho. The bones had been badly burned, making it impossible to retrieve DNA samples from them, but they believed they belonged to Cheryl based on their size. Cheryl was born on November 18th, 1961. She was the mother of two grown sons and also had two grandchildren at the time of her death. She worked as a registered nurse at the Florida State University and was also known to use her nursing skills on mission trips outside the country. Oh, oh yeah. Not surprised. Of course she did that. Yes. (sighs) She attended church at River of Life, where she taught Sunday school and was part of the leadership team. A longtime friend remembered her by saying, quote, she was a godly woman, a woman of the utmost integrity. She was the type to put others first and would often tell people that she focused on those that needed her. A friend who also worked with Cheryl said, quote, if she was dealing with a patient, she was not only committed about nursing, but she also cared about these people. She fell in love with them. It was like she became part of their family. (laughs) So once again, all of these cases were playing out at the same time. Just a few days after investigators found bone fragments belonging to Cheryl, Hilton was being arrested for the murder of Meredith Emerson. God. What a fuck fest. Like, I know, right? So barely keep up. There's just more and more and more. I know. So Irene and Jack went missing October 21st. And then Cheryl went missing on December 1st. And then Meredith was abducted 
on New Year's Day. So one month after Cheryl. So in the span of two months, he managed to abduct and murder four people. I'm just going to hope with all my heart and soul that this is just he got a taste for it. He liked it. He went for it. This is it. I doubt it. But that is a lot of killing within a very short amount of time. Mm hmm. Yeah, the only thing that makes me think he's maybe telling the truth is that there are other cases that he's been connected mm-hmm. to, but nothing that he's been charged with right. yet. But the fact that he did it in such a sh- quick amount of time and there was so much evidence found for these four murders. Exactly. No, I think I think he probably figured out that he liked it, but also either had some strange sense of wanting to get caught, knew he shouldn't be doing it, Mm -hmm. which isn't unheard of, especially serial killers, but wanted to do as much of it as he could as quickly as possible before he got caught, before he got himself caught or before he got caught. And also probably either just was too lazy or too weak or both to actually cover up his crimes. Totally. So, yeah. Best case scenario for a serial killer, but also good God, man. Yeah, doesn't want to bury the bodies, but is happy to de- decapitate. That's what them. I mean. Right, exactly. Yeah. So he's like doing as much as he can to get as much pleasure out of it as he possibly can, mm-hmm. as quickly as possible, but also not doing the things that are pretty crucial to do to not get caught for the crimes, like burying the bodies. He just put brush and sticks over them mm-hmm. and things like that. Yep. Yep. Yuck. Because of the similarities between the two cases, authorities in Florida started to look into Hilton as a possible suspect for Cheryl's murder. They learned that a U.S. forestry agent had come across Hilton in the weeks before Cheryl went missing in the same area where her remains would later be found. He talked to Hilton, ran his plates, but didn't find any outstanding warrants on him because he didn't check the bigger database. Why, why, dude, why? Had he, Meredith wouldn't have been killed it's fucking terrible yeah he reminded hilton that he could only camp in the national forest for 14 days and then he would have to move on yeah so dozens of other witnesses came forward with sightings of hilton in the days before and after cheryl disappeared multiple people said they came across hilton on the side of the road asking for a jump start for his astro van but when they helped him the van seemed to be running fine mm-hmm. So clearly this is how he's one of the ways he probably was looking for victims. Absolutely. Another witness saw Hilton rummaging through Cheryl's car on the day she went missing. In the middle of the day, just rummaging through the missing woman's car. Another witness said she met Hilton three weeks after Cheryl was killed. He told her she looked like Cheryl and said that it was, quote, too bad about the girl getting murdered. Oh, buddy. God, no. It's just keep that shit to yourself. Keep everyone Seriously. out of it. Leave everyone alone. One of the biggest leads came from a person who saw Hilton at the Joe Thomas campsite where officers would later recover the rest of Cheryl's remains. After Hilton pleaded guilty for Meredith Emerson's murder, he was then charged with the first degree murder of Cheryl Dunlap. Florida authorities then brought him from Georgia down to Tallahassee to stand trial. During the five-hour drive, Hilton didn't stop talking, which was filmed by cameras inside the police vehicle. He said things like, quote, I'm not all bad. I mean, you got to understand. I mean, I'm sure you can see. I'm a fucking genius, man. I'm I'm not all bad. I just, you know, lost my mind for a little bit. Lost a grip on myself, man. 
What can I tell you? FBI and everybody else is trying to scratch their head. Hey, guys don't get started doing my shit at 61 years old. It just don't happen, you know. But like I told you before, you know, when I saw you before, I said, remember? I said, I'd give you one for free. Nothing before September, okay? I mean, I'm not joking. I just, I got old and sick and couldn't make a living and just lost, flat lost my fucking mind for a while, man. I couldn't get a grip on it. This is when... He's a fucking genius, I man. would pull like a seven or a true detective Mm-hmm. Just like launch myself over mm-hmm. the thing and just to get him to shut up because he's so insufferable. Five hours. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'd be like. No, you put your little earbuds in, you turn the music up mm-hmm. and you let him go. I mean, at the same time, obviously you need to hear every single thing he's got to say, but. Of course. My, yeah. If you know it's being recorded, then. <laughs> yeah. My inability to talk to yeah. ins- insufferable people or like make small talk, I would be the worst mm-hmm. detective for that reason. Because I'd be like, yeah. I'm so bored right now. And I find you are so annoying and obnoxious. But I have to listen to you. Yeah. Last episode, the, his even his defense attorney in Meredith's That's case right. was like, he is the worst. He is so scary and evil and awful and terrible. Uh-huh. Every I'm just everybody around him is like, Ugh. he's like DeSantis, Ron DeSantis. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article about his Harvard yes. colleagues that were like, yeah, he's pretty much the least likable person I've ever met in my entire life. Like no one has uh-huh. ever liked Ron DeSantis ever. Thank God. Thank God. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. His old height boots little height boots and his little bot smile i'm smiling right (laughs) i'm doing a human smile (laughs) so unlike georgia florida officials decided to forego any plea deals and wanted him to be sentenced to death while he waited in jail correctional officers overheard hilton telling his cellmate that he could answer all the state attorney's questions if he would give him a life sentence He went into details of the things that he would tell him. Things like, quote, he would reveal where Cheryl's head was located. They hadn't found it yet at the time. That he used a bayonet to flatten Dunlap's tire. He would happily explain how he abducted Cheryl on a busy highway in the middle of the day. And would also admit that he spent a few hours or a few days with her. He told his cellmate that he felt no regret other than getting caught. (sighs) I'm not surprised. Nope. And the state attorney is like, you don't have to tell me these things because you can't stop talking and we just will listen to you. Yeah, good point. From yourself. Yeah, you're like, there's no plea deal, you fucking blabbermouth. No. It took three years for Hilton's trial to start for the first degree murder of Cheryl Dunlap. During trial, prosecutors were not able to talk about how Hilton had pleaded guilty to killing Meredith or how her murder had led Florida authorities to suspect he had killed Cheryl a month before. They also couldn't talk about how he was the main suspect in Irene and Jack's murders either. Yeah, it makes me crazy. Why, why, why? Please. I know that lawyers have reached out and told us in the past why that's the case. Yeah, just uh, what is it called? Um, Bias. Well, I think that's important to be biased. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to bias. I don't know. Well, especially if he, I can understand if he was just suspected, but if he's been, if he's pleaded guilty to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? But luckily there was plenty of other evidence yeah. to connect him to Cheryl's murder. The most damning of all was in the form of DNA. 
The reason it took so long for the trial to start was because of the massive amount of items found in Hilton's van that needed to be gone through and then tested for DNA. Mm -hmm. One, I guess there was one main forensic expert lab lady. I know she was a woman. We're going to call her the lab lady. Yeah. Who spent two years mm. going through every piece of everything in his hoarder van. And it was just like garbage bags oh full God, of shit. Wow. And yeah. And you open, you, they show pictures, which I can also post, but of the van just full to the top of shit. Also, how would it feel to be done with that project? You know, just be like, and that is all the trash. That is the last piece of trash. Two years later, right. I am done looking through all this piece of shit's pieces of shit. Yeah, they completely dismantled the van, carpet fibers, you know, all of it. I just can't imagine. No. We've, you know, no. I, don't, I don't have the attention span. Uh -uh. I would just look in there and be like, wow, that's a lot uh -huh. of stuff. Uh -huh. Wow. Just kind of shove it, just stick, push it with a stick and close the door and just right. walk away and retire. Like, you've seen the guys. Quit. He's got crazy eyes. He did it. Isn't that enough <laughs> to convict him? No. Good no. for scientists. God. You've got absolute seriously. heroes. You total badasses. Yes. When all was said and done, lab techs were able to find Cheryl's blood on two sleeping bags and a pair of hiking boots that belonged to Hilton. Hilton's defense really had nothing to bring to the table mm. and only called a few witnesses to the stand. I mean, I really, she was just like, nah, yeah. don't know. I don't like this guy. I got nothing good nope. to say about him. No, nope. I'm a public he defender. I'm just going to yep. do the bare minimum. Goodbye. Go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The jury deliberated for just over three and a half hours before finding Hilton guilty for the murder of Cheryl. Wow. They, they then unanimously recommended he be put to death. That's the other thing. He's doing really all of rare. this in the South, though, you know? Yeah. Like, yes. I don't know why yep. there's, I mean, it's because it's hot and cuckoo crazy, makes it crazy. But mm -hmm. they, yeah, the fact that there's so many serial killers and killers in the South is just blows me away. Maybe it's because they like the idea of being put to death. It's so titillating to them somehow or something, yes. you know? Right. Well, and so it was, I didn't go into the details because fuck this guy, but he was found guilty and then had the sentencing hearing to decide if he would be put to death. And then they could talk about Meredith's murder mm -hmm. and one of the prosecutors that was interviewed talked about how watching the jury and how everything really clicked into place for them mm. when they heard that this wasn't the first time that he had done this and that he did it to somebody else in almost the exact same way yep. and she she said you know at that point she just knew no doubt he would be put to death yeah and how rare it is for juries to have a unanimous verdict for death mm -hmm. and that it was like six men six women and they all were like nope he's gotta go wow yeah so a few months later hilton pleaded guilty to the murders of jack and irene bryant he received an additional four life sentences for their murders wow wow during the sentencing hearing hilton admitted to killing irene with one blow to her head and then kidnapping jack mm -hmm. He said once he got Jack's pin number to his debit card, he said he killed him with a single gunshot to the head. I hope that was a very short amount of time between kidnapping so Jack and killing Jack so that he didn't have to know that his wife was dead and be driven around no. in absolute terror. Also, just the like living knowing that she was dead would be so devastating. No. 
Gary Hilton has appealed his death sentence, but so far those appeals have been denied. Even if he, even if he's never put to death, he will spend the rest of his days in prison. Despite Gary's insistence that he only started killing people in 2007, FBI profilers and others with serial killer knowledge do not believe him. Mm-hmm. It's virtually unheard of for someone to start killing so late in life. And if anything, serial killers usually start to slow down as they age. Totally. There are a handful of other possible unsolved missing and murdered people that authorities believe Hilton might be responsible for. But so far, he has not been charged with those crimes. Did he have kids? I forget. No. Uh Not that we know Uh of. There might be some kids out there that we don't know. But no. Luckily for the families of Meredith Emerson, Jack and Irene Bryant, and Cheryl Dunlap, they have some closure for their loved ones. Thank God. And that is where I'm going to leave it. Man, he's the worst serial killer of all time. That would be the other thing if I was the police officer that had to transport him five hours. Maybe like, I'm a fucking genius, man. I'd be like, oh, yeah, you're actually the worst serial killer that's ever lived. Yes. You got caught within two months, bro. Mm -hmm. You didn't even try. It's not something to brag about. No. Yeah. No, you're really bad at it. Thank God. We're super grateful. And the families of these victims have got to be super grateful because you are really horrible because you're a monster because you mm-hmm. tortured these women for days upon days and had every opportunity to let them go and did not do it. That's horrible. But your skills as a serial killer are garbage. So shut up. But I can't say those things because <laughs> that's why he got caught. That's why he's in prison forever or going to be put to death. Yeah. Man. Oh, so, you know, yeah, that sucks. And I am grateful that for all of the, his victims, there was uh, so much out there. I really got a sense of who they were. Yeah. And I appreciate their full uh, lives. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously cut short, too short, but that they were, they lived the parts of their life that they were offered. Yes. They got to have, they lived to the fullest. the shit and, out of them. Yep. I'm so, 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 so sorry for their family. It does also feel like people, like all of his victims, are the type of people who should be protected by the bubble of goodness, you know? Mm-hmm. That they're just out there doing so much good that they nothing like this would ever happen to them. Yep. Maybe a car accident, normal stuff, but no targeting of a, a violent psychopath. Right. You know, it's so unfair. It's so... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad he got caught. And I'm real curious about what set it off. Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep an ear out. I'll keep an eye out about if any other cases get connected. But I think enough time has passed Mm -hmm. now that if they had more evidence to be able to connect him to other murders, it probably would have happened. Mm -hmm. But never say never. No, for sure. Yeah. And like, yeah, based on everything we know, he did some, he did other things, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's curious. I, it's a curious one. I haven't, usually it's so cookie cutter. It's like so obvious mm-hmm. and they had a bad mom. They got hit on the head. They did it like this and they did it for this amount of time. And then they got caught because they slipped up bare, you know, just barely, or somebody super smart stumbled upon them and noticed something mm-hmm. or whatever. 
not like this where it's just super fast and so senseless and yeah, I don't know. I probably will never know because that's how this job works, but right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. I am so oh. sorry for their families. I can't begin to imagine. Like I said, you think you're past murder age. You think you just mom and dad. Well, you know, dad's got that thing on his neck or whatever, you know, like totally that might, yes. that might be it. We're going to have to yeah. prepare for that, but never totally. for them to have to find your father's bones in the woods i can't oh like oh maybe it's about time to take the keys away is it safe for them to still be driving right yes which is hard very hard but it's absolutely the cycle of life you're prepared for it on some level and it's respectful and it's you know manageable for the most part to just have him be so disrespected and dishonored like that it's just i can't i mean any of our victims obviously but yeah (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad they know where they are, though. I'm really grateful, yeah. and that they know who did it because that is this very special hell to not, yeah, to not have their bodies would be horrible, awful. Yeah. Well, good job, good job well, breaking it in thank half. You. Good job not thank leaving you. the people hanging on one of the cases. Just nice, clean, right down the middle. <laughs> It's what I do, you know, actually, it's usually not what I do. And so you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, you guys, real quick before we get on to our banter portion of the show. When I was in New Orleans, I met with these angels, these lovely human beings, Sam and Lizzie at Subtextual Pod. I was on the podcast talking about Pee Wee's Big Adventure and that episode went live on Monday. So check that out. But also I'm going to play a promo for them because they are brilliant. They are kind. They are funny. And they talk about queer subtext in movies. And that is every kind of movie. And it's a very interesting thing to talk about and listen to. So you don't have to be queer to listen to it because it's just all about, I mean, subtext in general is interesting. So check them out. Here's a okay. promo. Check them out. They are lovely human beings. Hi, I'm Lizzie. And I'm Sam. And we're two queer people and best friends who love movies. On Subtextual, we take a queer lens to a movie that you already knew was gay. Like, come on, Fast and the Furious? You're telling me Vin Diesel and Paul Walker don't want to date each other? Do they want to date each other or their cars? Either which, it feels very gay. (laughs) She's the man, gender-bent Amanda Bynes. Any way you slice her relationships in that film is gay. Dressing up like a boy so you can kiss Channing Tatum doesn't make you a heterosexual. But who's not guilty of that? Honestly, we all have tried it. (laughs) Bend it like Beckham. Were these characters meant to be lesbians? Or did Keira Knightley in a sports bra just change your life? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) On Subtextual, we have fun, we talk shit, and you might even learn something along the way. Might. You just might. (laughs) We have guests from all across the LGBTQ spectrum that bring a new light to every film. So Subtextual is for every gay, every they, and every ally who loves to blab about movies. So please catch Subtextual anywhere you get your podcasts and subscribe to us on Patreon for exclusive content. So remember, most movies are gay. We'll prove it. Well, I have a They Will Pill to talk about, and this is something that I've really contemplated talking about for a very long time, but haven't really known what the exact motivation was for it and also how to articulate it. And I don't feel confident that I'm going to be able to articulate it today, but I feel motivated to do so. So 
Friday was a really hard day for me. I'm not the kind of person that gets like completely taken down by my emotions very often. Uh, but Friday was one of those days. And so I was having a bad day and I made the super smart decision to go on Reddit. And <laughs> initially I was looking up to see if anybody had been talking about please leave. And then I was like, you know what? I'll see if anyone's talking about they will kill. And I found a whole post. Normally there's like mentions of us in comments or threads or things, but I found a whole post specifically about how we cry too much in our episodes. And people say all kinds of things about us and we're pretty used to it at this point. I stopped reading the reviews because it, it does sort of stick in your craw. You know, it's hard mm -hmm. You get this sort of OCD style thinking about it that you can't unlock. And I just don't need that in my life. There's not much I can do about the, most of the things people say about us. But the poster said that we just are too emotional. We cry a lot in the episodes and recently, which is true. There were a couple of episodes. There was the one where Sadie um, <laughs> cried the entire thing to the point that she almost took a pregnancy test because she was like, why was I so um, upset by this yes. episode? And then... I'm not pregnant, by no, the way. So just, not trying to get pregnant. I'm not pregnant. No, no babies. babies. There's no new next no. to be born. No. Um, no. And then there was the Amish school shooting, which was by far the hardest and most emotional case we've ever presented by a long shot. Mm. And we do get choked up pretty frequently. And, and I would say more and more as time has gone on. And it's not about that really there are things that I don't talk about myself on the podcast because it's not about me. It's not about us. Mm -hmm. And no matter what, like I'm fine. I'm already fine. You know, I've been pretty successful. I have a loving marriage. I am okay. I don't need things to be about me. I don't need to defend myself. And so this, but this particular post stuck with me and really upset me. And I couldn't exactly figure out why. And I thought about it all weekend. And I realized finally that, so Sadie and I've talked a lot about our ADHD diagnosis and generally refer to ourselves as neurodivergent, right? And mm -hmm. the thing we haven't talked about is that we suspect we are on the spectrum also. And the reason we haven't talked about that is because, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, but Big one being we don't have a diagnosis. It's very hard to get a diagnosis. It's expensive and it's not super necessary other than to talk about maybe being on the spectrum or definitely being on the spectrum. It's also very trendy. If you're on TikTok, you know, quote unquote trendy. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of us who are figuring these things out about ourselves late in life. So people think that it's a trend. They think it's fake. And that makes me uncomfortable to talk about because I don't want people to think that I'm jumping on some bandwagon. There's very specific types of autism that have been modeled historically, mm -hmm. right? It's people who are lower functioning, who are really affected by their autism diagnosis. And historically, those are the people who need the diagnosis because they need assistance, right? They need mm -hmm. help in school, they need help in work and life. And so it's appropriate for them to get diagnosed because they are affected by it in a way that makes life very disruptive for them. So I don't, I also don't want to, a lot of people that I've mentioned that I have this suspicion have been like, I don't like it when high functioning people say that because it takes away from lower functioning people, which I understand that, but it's also, you know, not super encouraging for someone who's trying to figure themselves out. So mm -hmm. anyway, 
regardless, I think there's a lot of schools of thinking right now to professionals that think that ADHD and autism kind of are all part of the same thing, right? They express Mm -hmm. in differing amounts. There's a spectrum of sort of expression of these things that people have. And so I think there's a long way to go before we can really confidently say like, this is who I am and this is what that looks like, but we're getting a better sense, right? So that's why I say neurodivergent and I've learned a lot about myself. Sadie has to Laura, a lot of people I'm very close to are having this experience and there's things that we're learning about ourselves. And a lot of those things are, are very hyperbolic. We feel things very strongly. And so we express things uh, more so than a person, a neurotypical person. We have a very deep sense of justice and really feel committed to fairness and rules and things like that. A lot of what I have been taught to hide in myself is that emotion, is that expression of that emotion, is like you get really excited and you want to do a little dance, you know, things that are considered like cringy, embarrassing, obnoxious. You know, there's a lot of parts of myself that I have been taught to hide for the 35, almost 40 years of my life, I figured out how to put these parts of myself away. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't entirely know who I am as a result, my real personality. I know who I am on the inside, but I don't know how I want to present to the world. And so I feel like what I am presenting is fairly authentic, but the more I get to know myself and feel these things and like really think about, am I smiling right now because I'm happy or am I smiling to make this person feel comfortable? You know, there's a lot of that going on as I've become medicated for ADHD and I have a steady stream of dopamine. A lot of the things that I did before that were motivated by dopamine, I don't do those things anymore. I don't need the novelty of being as social as I used to be, things like that. And so I'm able to look at myself more closely and I do want to figure out who I am more. I want to, mm-hmm. quote unquote, unmask is what they call it. A big part of that for me is also recognizing the parts of myself that I dislike in other people because I've been told I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. Because I've been told that neurodivergent people are, again, cringy, unlikable, not trustworthy, yucky, spooky, creepy, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of that to say, I was like, what about this bothers me? And there was one comment in particular, and some of you did come to our defense and I see you and thank you. I really so appreciate that. Um, But again, I was like, I don't give a fuck ultimately, but (laughs) there was a comment that said, yeah, I've been listening to them for a while too. And I've recently started to have feelings. And so I was like, recently started to have feelings. And it dawned on me that, I think a lot of what people are sensing is the unmasking is us Mm -hmm. being a little bit more vulnerable, being a little bit more open and sort of honest about our personalities. And I can say from my personal life, um, you know, I've mentioned that I'm closing my business of 15 years and I haven't gone into detail about why, because uh, I don't want to slander the person, my, my business partner, because I care about him very, very deeply, but a big part of why we're closing to be completely honest is because he doesn't like the unmasked version of me at all. And, um, was very cruel about it. And 
it really brought up and reminded me of, oh shit, right. I, there's a reason I abandoned this Courtney years and years ago Mm. because people don't like her. And I now am like, I don't care, (laughs) you know, (laughs) personally, I don't care, but it has brought a lot of emotion to the surface and has reminded me of a lot of what I went through as a kid. So again, all of this to say, I think that it's important to model those behaviors. And I can't be very specific about what they are. It's not something you can necessarily describe or put a finger on. I think it's more things that we do that are just different in general. And that post, that those comments made me feel very protective of other neurodivergent people. And also just made me like really illustrated to me how uncomfortable people are by that kind of behavior, by people who have differences and are, you know, either disabled or just different or shamed for being their authentic selves. And again, I don't want to make it about me, which is why I have avoided, we have avoided talking about these things because we're talking about bigger, more important things here. But at the same time, I do feel very strongly that we need to see ourselves in other people in different forms of media. And it needs to be accepted. People need to learn to get comfortable with it so that we can be our authentic selves, so that we can be honest about who we are and be comfortable in this world and not shove these massive parts of ourselves down because it's really damaging. It's fucking dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I and Sadie, we're best case scenario, right? We had enough love. We had enough guidance. We had enough resources that we are okay. But so many things that people experience because they are trying to mask, they're trying to hide those parts of themselves. And it's because it makes people just uncomfortable, just a little bit of Mm -hmm. discomfort, right? In, In my show of emotion, And they were saying things in the post that they thought that we were seeking out the most sensational stories to like as masochistic ways to evoke this emotion, to exploit the cases. Uh And it's like, fine, that's fine to think that. But the fact that that's what people think rather than believing Mm -hmm. that it's real emotion is what is a problem to me that that kind of over over the top hyperbolic like big emotion makes neurotypical people so uncomfortable that they assume sort of like criminal behavior mm-hmm. um that's a problem right and again not for yeah. me i don't give a shit what you think about me this sadie and i make 500 dollars a month off of this podcast you know financially it's not serving us or our families in any way It could go away tomorrow and I would be just fine financially, emotionally. No, I love you guys. We love you guys. We've made deep, deep connections with our audience, with victims, families. You know, there's a lot of reasons we do it, but I don't like that. I don't like seeing people talk about that that way. You know, it's a toxic Mm -hmm. poison that then spreads. Then that makes other people say, yeah, I've been feeling that too. There's something Mm -hmm. wrong with them. Like I'm open to criticism. I love to be told if I'm hurting someone, absolutely. But to be a little uncomfortable by something that I have done 
rather than coming to me and saying, Hey, I've noticed you guys have been really emotional. A, are you okay? B, what the <laughs> fuck is that? You know, whatever, posting it on Reddit and then letting this virus spread to other people who then think, yeah, there's something wrong with them, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Which then shuts down other people's vulnerabilities. That's exactly the you problem. Know, being authentic, yes. authentic, right? Yes, that's exactly the problem. So I want to say to our neurodivergent listeners, which there are many, I think most of you are, mm-hmm. whether you are in touch with that or not. I've been thinking about my neurodivergent friends and I've been thinking about the parts of themselves that they hide and how all of those parts are the best parts of them. Like really, truly the best, most magical, most marketable parts of them. And it just makes people who shouldn't really have a say, in my opinion, (laughs) uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So they put them away. And I don't want you to do that, y'all. Yeah. And I want us to check in and, and myself too. I need, I've been deeply checking in with things that make me uncomfortable in other people. And I'm like, are you, are they actually hurting someone or is that, am I projecting that onto them? Because I am uncomfortable with that in myself because I've been told that I should be. And it's usually that it's, it's usually just because I'm projecting my own insecurity onto them, not because they're actually doing something harmful. Yeah. Yeah, as you're discovering yourself, you know, that ADHD, going through therapy, becoming a mom, all of those things, but especially therapy, yep. you know, my, Melissa would say all the time, when you start to figure out who you are and you start putting boundaries down for those around you, mm-hmm. it's going to make people uncomfortable. Yep. And I think part of that process, the unmasking, you're putting a boundary for yourself saying, I'm going to be authentic. Yep. And you're going to make others uncomfortable when that happens. And, you know, kind of tough shit. Yeah. 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 It's just part of the process and it's really painful and really necessary. Yes. Big time. Which is exactly why we haven't really talked about it. Because Mm -hmm. it's fine. (laughs) You know, for me, for you, we're fine. You can say whatever you want about us, Mm -hmm. but... When I really thought about it and just applied it to a bunch of things that happened over this weekend and things that I was observing, I was like, I need to stand up for neurodivergence, not Courtney. Mm -hmm. Right. And I need to try to model that. And I'm not fully comfortable with just like shoving my full self down people's throats. Sometimes my full self is too much for my own self, which is the funny (laughs) dichotomy of being neurodivergent. is you're simultaneously a lot and also very easily overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) So all of that to say, my two takeaways for myself and for anybody who gives a shit, which is most of you, just one, don't try, just don't feel like you need to hide those parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you really want those people to like you? Probably not. It's so unnecessary. And I really think the longer we do this, the better we understand how real, how true these cases are. And so if our sadness, our genuine sadness over the victims who have been murdered or the people who've been victimized by the system that's so fucked up, if that bothers you, that we feel, we genuinely feel that way, then you need to find another podcast. We won't stop. I I can't physically stop unless I stop doing the podcast, but I also won't 
forget ever that these are really true stories. I mean, it makes me want to cry right now. I'm thinking about yep. it. These are people. These are humans who have been murdered yep. terribly. And if my sadness over that makes you uncomfortable, then you need to move on. Right. Because this won't ever go away no. as long as I'm talking about these real people who really went through these horrific things. Yeah. I've always thought it was weird that yeah. people can talk about those things and not get emotional. <laughs> yeah. It's yep. kind of strange. So, I'd, yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. And when I get through it, you know, a lot of times I do kind of keep that push, push down. And I'm always like weird. I can just say like this whole, the whole episode we just recorded. And then her head and hands were found in a Ex fire yes. pit. Like that. Like what? Exactly. If you really start thinking about that, holy shit. It's weird. How is that possible right. that that happens to us? I, so. I can also say that this podcast would be a hell of a lot more successful if we kept our shit to ourselves. Yeah, so people right. that think that we're doing it for <laughs> listens, no, babes. No, baby. God, no. If we just case file, stop, which I love case file. Mm -hmm. Love. Yes. If we presented Stuck that way, facts. yes, <laughs> we would have yeah. been retired by now. We would be so mm -hmm. much better off. We'd be so much more successful yeah. if we just stuck to the facts, kept our shit to ourselves. Yeah. Kept pe people feeling comfortable within this terrible yeah. mess that is true crime podcasts. Yes. Yeah. But we are choosing to try to be more authentic versions of ourselves and connect with people on a more deep level for better or yeah. worse. And again, it's not about us. No, it's but it is about standing up for people who who have not gotten to places that we have in our lives and might not without a model of of that being OK, because it is it's not as not only is it OK, it's to be celebrated. And mm -hmm. I didn't start finding success in my life and satisfaction in my life until I started being my true self and stopped trying to give a shit about being cool or aligning myself with people I thought were cool. Cause ultimately they're not that interesting if I'm being mm -hmm. honest. <laughs> yep. Most people are dull. Yep. Most people are <laughs> soft and you are not. Yeah. And so let it yep. out, baby. That's right. Well, I was telling Courtney, I have not seen the Reddit post. I didn't know about it until Courtney told me and I'm not, I don't plan to read it. On the flip side of that, I just want to tell you, too, that even just a minute ago, I looked at our email, not a minute ago, because I was but before we started recording your emails, your yeah. support, your connection to us. It means so much. Yep. And we say it all the time and we really mean it. So thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Thank you for understanding us and appreciating who we are. We feel the same way about you and are so happy and honored that we can be a small part of your life yeah. and maybe offer you some comfort or a laugh or a cry. Yeah. We see you and we're happy to be here with you. We really, really yeah. are. It's literally the only reason we're still doing it. Yeah. It really is because it's an honor and it's a gift and it's a very That's reciprocal and that, yeah, we woke up to this like 11 paragraph email from someone talking about the various ways we've made her feel happy recently when she needed to feel happy. <laughs> and I was like, there it is. You know, that's exactly yes. what I'm talking yes. about. That's exactly why yeah. I do it. And I'm OK with exactly. people not liking me. I don't I really don't give a shit. It's not going to change yeah. my life in any way if you dislike me. If I hurt you, I'm d very sad. You know, if I hurt somebody, right. of course, I uh, will correct. But. If I make mm -hmm. you uncomfortable, 
that's a, that's a bone you got to pick with yourself, baby. Yep. And I will protect and fight for other people who make people uncomfortable for no reason because it's unfair and it's unhealthy and they are super special and you are losing out because you're not getting to see the sparkle. But yep. that's your sad life. Bye. It's <laughs> <laughs> really, really want to say. <laughs> But it's not constructive and it's not really what I mean, but, you know, the neurodivergence is uh, more powerful than me. These things happen. I I don't have. That's right. Oh, no, Mm -mm. not my problem. Mm -mm. Except, you know, sometimes you get a punch with carbon dose. Exactly. Sorry, dude. These things happen. But thank you guys for being here. And next week we'll have name time and we'll have shouty outies and the business as usual. But this week a little pause check in with ourselves and tell you that we celebrate you and we see you and we love you and you are fucking amazing but yeah if you want to spend more time with us you can go to our tiktok our instagram our facebook or our youtube at they will kill you can go to our website they will kill.com you can always email us at they will kill podcast at gmail.com Ooh, and maybe we'll get big enough that we have a Reddit snark page, like the, the cringe page get. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I am very. <laughs> you could go find us over there. I've actually been like, I should go see if there's no, like, God, no, well, no, I don't uh-uh. need to go look for uh-uh. that. Uh-uh. No. no, 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 no. But yeah, that's <laughs> the upside of growing is that people get on Reddit and start talking about you more. Yeah. Um, what else? You can rate and review and subscribe to us. And we want to say thank you to AJ Bergans for our music. Thank you so much. And remember. Just let that sparkle out, cutie pie. Get it on right the fuck on out there. Are you too much for people? No, you're not. You're not. You are not. Do you feel your feelings really hard? Good for you. Yeah, that's good. Do you not like to wear anything that even resembles wool? Yeah. Close to your skin. Or anything that has a neck on it. Ew. Or socks. I'm actually wearing, I honestly, I'm wearing a shirt right now that I cut the neck out of because it was too choky. I wear, I'm like a guido. <laughs> I wear my shit unbuttoned down to my like navel because I can't even have it remotely close. Laura the other day was like, why are you doing that? I was like, hood, hoodie. It's the hood. Uh-huh. And she didn't even yeah. ask like what specifically about the hood. <laughs> It's like, ah, uh, just, uh, just get it off me. <laughs> Do water, the thought of putting a water chest nut in your mouth and crunching on it make you want to die? Just washing your face. <laughs> for you. You yes, it does. Because oh, thousands yeah, of you, thousands of you have sent us the little wrist blockers oh, which i keep trying to find where do you i mean i could order them online but that i keep forgetting but i keep going into the stores for wristbands oh, i've never seen just, them in I stores yeah them. maybe no. tj maxx but probably just online well, that's where i usually when i'm at marshall's i go to find them and they i've never seen them in stores. existence stores yeah. so anyway i am do plan to buy some i just have not yet <laughs> so then i'll wash my face more often do you sing things back to people that they've just said to you do you oh, do a little dances I, a lot of times? Uh-huh. Uh, do you rub your feet together when you fall asleep? Mm-hmm. Do, do you sleep with your arms up like a T-Rex? Do you sometimes randomly put one arm up in the air or have you in the past while you're laying on your side or on your back? Does the sun or bright lights make you insane? <laughs> do loud noises or some noises of any sort make you want to die? Mm-hmm. Make your brain explode. That means you have 
a big sparkle inside of you and you need to let it out. That's right. So, yeah. and there's lots of other things. If you want more examples, oh, okay. we have them. That's right. Do you get songs stuck in your head? That is not normal, even though I thought it was. Growing pains aren't normal. And That's a sign of neurodivergence. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yep. It's so yeah. weird. Anyway. I know. If you can't yeah. regulate your own body temperature, neurodivergence. If you can't. <laughs> really, it's like every single thing about you is neurodivergence. <laughs> If you're never, if you're never to divert them. Oh my God. I remember telling my doctor after I got my diagnosis, ADHD diagnosis, I was like telling her all this, yeah, like sensory stuff and all this. She's like, that's not ADHD. And I was like, damn it. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just keep finding more and more and more things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. I swear, if you'd asked me, what, two years ago, no. if I had anything else, I would. I swore to everyone that would listen that it was just severe anxiety. Nope. That's all I yeah. had. Nope. 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 <laughs> oh, ha, 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 ha. Nope. Young. Oh, how young I was. <laughs> Spring baby. <laughs> no, our brains just overprocess things and don't shed their dead cells or whatever, and also don't give us enough dopamine and etc. 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 All right. We, we love, love you. you. Thank you for being Very here. Much. And uh, we'll see you next time. We will be, be good. Back. Be nice. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.